Hello. Hi. Welcome back. Uh, so today we're talking about patriarchy again but with a group of women this time yeah so our last one we kind of delved into maybe what um what problems men had with their own masculinity and how you know how we can seek to evolve as humans and how we can maybe move the debate forward beyond the stage of being a debate mm. more into the stage of like stopping pointing fingers and yeah. start making action and making more resilient communities out of that because essentially we're all part of the same thing and uh, and I suppose yeah one of the interesting things from this one was that um, it was lovely to have uh, Maura Niji uh, who's a you know a Taoist uh, practitioner and, and teacher and she kind of brought us back to that idea that it wasn't like about you know because there was a little bit of chat that went towards like you know negative aspects of patriarchy which absolutely have to be explored but she was like you know okay guys yes but there's also this residual feminine masculine energy that's inside all of us and this you know actually teasing that out internally as opposed to maybe repressing the aspects of ourselves that we're not willing to admit or we're not like proud to share is actually maybe the way forward so that we can understand ourselves better and then understand the people who are around us better. Yeah, so when we're looking at equality, that we don't necessarily have to look externally to equality. We mm. can look at like finding that balance within ourselves between mm. masculine and feminine energies and that that will naturally transmit outwards. Big That's time. a nice way to look at it, isn't it? Because there's practical practices that you can do, mm -hmm. ways to apply that, that aren't just kind of terrifyingly massive and kind of, well, we need to change the whole of society. Yeah. It's like, how can we start that change at a base level? Yeah. Um, it's like yeah. your Deepak Chopra moment. What was he saying? Like, yeah, you know, we said about people like starting to mm -hmm. meditate, we change like 30% of the world to start to meditate and then the whole world changes. But but that's about internal practice. It's not about you know trying to browbeat your neighbour into raising their kids differently or to you know to into attacking politicians who make statements where they use language that isn't allowed anymore. It's considered politically correct or is maybe seen as being um, uh, repressive of a certain sector of society. But it's about you know looking inwards, taking that like understanding our own. Um, you know, what hegemony we have in our, inside our own minds and our hearts and then transmitting that out. And also, as you were saying, not being like passive about that, like yeah, seeking out. Yeah, to actively seek. I think that's one of the things we learned because we spoke to a, a broad section of women. We spoke to oh, yeah. Moira, who's a Taoist practitioner um, and sexual women's sexual health educator. And then we have a woman who's doing her PhD in porn. That was amazing. Which is pretty exciting. Uh, yeah. And we're definitely going to get her on again to talk more about porn. Defo, defo, yeah, that's um, And its effects on society mm. and ourselves. And then we have Aoife, who is the first member of the trans community to ever work in MasterCard. MasterCard. Yeah, so she globally. changed the whole global paradigm for MasterCard's employment and HR approach by being the first person she's based in Dublin. Uh, in that office and, 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 and having to just think from scratch, how is a member of the trans community, you know, how, how do we embrace them in our practical, you know, set up in, in an office community, like in terms of what bathrooms do we have for them, you know, all of this sort of stuff, which really hadn't been teased out at all before. And it's interesting to, to see that really only happening now, even in very forward thinking global brands. Yeah. And then we had Shub who... Mm a medical student yeah. she works a lot with marginalized areas of society yeah. and people that might be kind of pushed to the side or not looked on so favorably and um yeah she's engaged in like in the kink society as yeah. well kink kind of community and, and, and that part and you know there's a lot of crossover there i suppose uh, and a lot of a lot of things that happen in within the kink community that might seem quite i think probably quite murky to to people who are outside of it actually it's interesting because a lot of the exploration like when she started talking about it, i started reflecting on it, like started maybe 
you know, some of the things that she was talking about, those practices are actually maybe quite helpful for us mm. to, you know, let go of our hang-ups around roles of men and women in society as transferred to the bedroom, basically, or as transferred to our sexual energy, our sexual practices. To the dungeon. To the dungeon, <laughs> exactly. Welcome to the dungeon. Yeah. But really, yeah, I mean, what it comes back down to is inclusivity, isn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly. And all, and all of those things that we don't kind mm. of point fingers yeah. at any one member of society and mm. go like, ooh, that's weird, ooh, we don't yeah. like that, push that to the side. Mm. It's about going, okay, how can we embrace all what these is things? Yeah. And where, where is equality? What is the meaning of equality, yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, we heard a nice thing this week about um, the masculine and feminine, en feminine energies around research that we've been doing about a positive menstruation practice podcast oh, yeah. and the training that I've done in that and um, there's this old kind of prophecy that says the women when the women give their blood back to the earth the men will come home from the fields and peace will reign wow. so the idea around that is that when we start giving our menstrual blood back to the earth instead mm. of taking it internally in sanitary pads or tampons and then throwing them away um, the earth has this need, this deep need for that blood to be returned back to itself in its own kind of archetype of the womb. And because we stopped doing that, because we started throwing the blood away and leaving those old rituals, that the men went off to war to create bloodshed. So blood would literally be shed on the ground and the earth would get that blood back into it. It's itself. fascinating. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty esoteric, but I think it's golly, it's nice as profound. Metaphor. It is a nice metaphor. And I think the, the things that you opened me up to, like about the red tents that I didn't even know existed and this idea that women would have these rituals around menstruation where they would come together and there'd be a lot of, you know, sharing of wisdom that would happen during those times and, and probably, like, I presume, a lot of emotional, you know, uh, outpourings and people beginning to, like, having, like, compassionate moments with each other away from men. And then when that men saw that that essentially was a what was an access to something that they felt they were being robbed of or that they were, you know, they were, they were kind of being excluded from, they started to essentially disrupt that and, and, and to take their process away. So it's a really interesting thing that, yeah, that male energy seems to this kind of like, you know, what's happening in the world at the moment in terms of uh, people wanting to insert themselves into other people's communities and, and, and change how they do things and, you know, with, with this sort of idea that the, for the greater good, you know, we have the right ideas about how society should live. Nobody has the right ideas about how society should live. So it's, yeah, a, a nice idea to have kind of compassion for those things and, and maybe that will bring the men back from war. Who knows? So, <laughs> enjoy our long round of chat. And uh, I hope you can figure out who is speaking when if you're not watching yeah. it because there was quite a lot of us there so you'll have to bear with that. Hopefully we negotiated it well enough. And mm. thank you as always to our sponsors, mm. to Clearlight Saunas, to New Zest and to Swivel. All the codes will be in the footnotes. And if you want to know more about that stuff and you haven't listened to us on other podcasts, get in touch with us and we will tell you all about those fab things because we're big fans. Yeah, get discounts on those amazing things. Help to support us, please, just a little bit so we can keep doing this. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Hey guys! Hello! Hiya, Finn and Lydia, back here as per usual, Monument of Wellness. Um, we've got a little gang with us today, a crowd. <laughs> Biggest crowd we've had, actually. Um, we have uh, all sorts of people who we're going to talk about today. This is the, 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 the partner episode to our chat on the role of kind of modern masculinity. Uh, and I think we're just going to let everybody introduce themselves. So, Caroline, do you want to go from you? Mm -hmm. oh, great, lovely. Thank you. Hello, um, I'm Caroline West. and. Um, Currently finishing up a PhD on porn and feminism, so yeah, that's kind of fun. Um, and, um, I have other qualifications in sexuality, so any chance I get to talk about feminism and patriarchy and sex, I'm down for that. So yeah. 
Okay. Um, my name is uh, Moira Nietzsche and um, I'm a Taoist instructor um, and part of what I teach is around um, sexual energy practices and I also run a women's circle. Hi there, my name is Aoife Martin and I'm a trans woman and activist for trans rights. Cool, you know us. I'm Spangy or Shub. I'm a medical research student and a medical student in general. I'm a creative and I'm a general campaigner for like a lot of diversity and inclusion stuff in Irish platforming. And I too enjoy talking about sex. My parents <laughs> will be so mad at me. <laughs> this is the one, parents, you should listen to. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so welcome everybody. Thank you for coming here today. It's kind of exciting to set up like a little woman's circle. Mm. What I think is a problem around sexual education for young people these days is that there's no narrative around pleasure. Mm. It's just mm. around don't get pregnant, don't get an STD, and that's it. And I think that that's, it's really missing something. I spoke to a friend of mine in, um, who grew up in Finland and another friend who grew up in Sweden, and they were saying that their sex education is around, like, mm. sex is really good for you, it's a really important thing for your body, you should have lots of sex, it'll make you feel great, it'll make your body feel great, here are the ways to do it that are going to be great, and here are the questions to be asking, like, does this feel nice for me? do I like it this way? Who do I want to be doing this with? And yeah, what do I, what do I feel about my body? How can I explore mm. my body? And I think that's really missing because here when I've talked to girls in schools, they're talking about their first sexual experience and their first experience was, their takeaway from it was, how did I look? How did they think I look? Mm -hmm. And did I do a good job? And that's none of the- Over and done with. Yeah, mm. there's no questions that are being asked about, did I like it? Like, mm. Do I want to do that again? Mm. Totally, and that's from porn. Yeah. I mean, well, porn well, is it just from porn? No, it's yeah. uh, that, had, that existed long before porn was on mm. the scene. It's porn reflects society, you know, and, yeah. and, mm. and yeah. you know, you see all that, that stuff in Hollywood as well. Passive females who get rescued by men all the time. So, <laughs> you know, you're mm. now getting action figures, and that's like Laura Croft with gigantic boobs and hot pants. You know, it's all it's mm. problematic on many levels. <laughs> but that's, yeah, that's another statement. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's very performative, and you like say again, go back to Cosmopolitan. Like, the, you know, if people are writing in going he's going to look at my stretch marks or my belly and then the advice is like use different lighting and all this rather than saying fuck him if he doesn't mm. like your, your stretch marks get someone else who doesn't like them it's fine yeah. and also obviously very heteronormative language and stuff and, but just yeah it's like as if the body is shameful and like we're meant to be these perfect airbrushed creatures who have no scars or flaws and we all have like obviously beauty ideals change over time now it's a tiny waist and a big ass and thank you kardashians for mm. all that stuff. <laughs> but yeah very performative and very little conversations about female orgasms and you know like multiple orgasms for women like that's you know why are we talking about this how amazing is that that women can come in like 15 different ways in you know 10 minutes or whatever it is or it can come from your nipples and it's like Monstrously jealous. No wonder the patriarchy because jealous. <laughs> yeah. That's underneath a lot of it. Jealousy um, and fear mm. and you know that yeah, especially you know, the fact that like biological women are the life givers and all the rest, so I think that's part of it as well. Mm. So yeah. yeah, fear a lot of the time. It's funny, isn't it? There's so much of the life cycle that's born out of like feminine, sacred feminine aspects. 
kind of understandably not like I'm not trying to like forgive anything but that men would kind of be like where's our part in the conversation and then use the dominance the physical dominance to kind of take over that so where do you think is the the obvious insertion point excuse that that's not but <laughs> yeah. yeah for men in that conversation do you know like a, a valid and a useful insertion point just like being calm and listening yeah. to women and getting over the whole like men can't have emotions or can only have anger and rage or mm. just all these kind of negative emotions as well and then looking at the spectrum of sexuality as well I think men are also they're men well women are obviously this lot most of the time men are meant to be this does and men are told they just have to like know what sex is magically they're meant to be the experts because they're the active partner and, and you're doing sex to someone and they're meant to know all of this stuff and whereas half the teenage guys especially are like they have no clue they have absolutely no clue and then they're watching porn and they're like okay i have to like pound her like a jackhammer and that's and then she magically has an orgasm that way and they're like that's just not how that works so yeah yeah, just being vulnerable i suppose and just admitting they they don't know everything it's okay not to know everything you're no one knows anything learn what you like i find yeah it's like so much of sexual education both from an educational perspective and i suppose for me like the public health impacts that it has it's like with the hpv scandal obviously and like people not vaccinating because of this that and the other i mean like i don't have an hpv vaccination because of like the cultural dynamics of having that conversation when i moved to england when it was available for me and being like you know being so isolated from any conversations about sex i was like no i'm asexual it's never gonna happen parents were like yeah well she's never gonna have sex before marriage and no no concern about the fact that the man could already have hpv at that point obviously with the presumption as well but yeah so it's like from a public health perspective it's incredibly dangerous to not have conversations about like i don't know it it feels strange to describe sex as an act but it also feels equally wishy-washy to describe it as a journey but then it's also like I feel like it is though, and I think that's the conversation that we're not having. It's like the, the, the steps that unfold when you're in a position where you're comfortable with people and you express to each other what makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. And it's like the thing you said about Cosmo, it's like I have several scars from like lots of years of self injury. It's like every time, like even if I just wore like Laura Croft style shorts out in public, if I knew someone I'd, and I was talking to them when I was leaving a conversation, I'd be like, look, I'm really sorry about my scars. And yeah. Mm. It's like the things that people just don't notice when they're sort of more focused on that journey rather than like things that don't add or detract from it outside of what you get told in magazines. Mm. And it's like, mm. really, if you're having a good time with someone, probably like, okay, maybe your decisions of whom you choose to have that time with vary on, you know, whether you buy into the Kim Kardashian aesthetic of modern beauty or whether you buy into heroin chic in the 90s. Like, mm every era has had its models and i don't know how much to blame them or be like well you're playing the game if you want to wear short shorts fine if you want to look that way like that's you capitalizing on ridiculous standards set on you every era has their models but at the end of the day if you feel good with someone hmm. Maura, i'm kind of interested in like mm. how <clears throat> like Taoism, eastern practices fit into this because they clearly are much more evolved in terms of how you know women and men recognize their sexuality what they actually do mm-hmm. to 
maximize their their pleasure their understanding of the mm-hmm. the way men, women and men can come together or be individual about it or whatever whatever mm-hmm. role that takes or whatever mode that takes like have can you speak a bit about like maybe how what you know of the like Taoism or, the, or those kind of like the, the Eastern version of sexuality, like how different it is from that performative versus journey aspect or has it like, where does it sit between those things? Um, yeah, I think one thing that um, Taoism can really offer is actually they place a huge emphasis on the woman's pleasure. Mm. Um, and uh, I suppose with sex, they would view sex as... Um, really important for our health, our longevity, and also as our spiritual advancement. So it was never a moral issue. So like maybe 2000 years ago to present day, to know with Christianity, there's been like some frantic suppression of sexuality and lots of other religions as well. But actually in Taoism, in China, they would have actually led very open, healthy sex lives. Um, And it was seen as actually very important to kind of your health. This is like the roots of life. And um, it was very, very normal, very healthy um, to, you know, to have sex. Um, and so what they would have done is they would have focused a lot on a female pleasure. Um, and also from a male perspective, they would have focused on uh, preventing ejaculation because this would be seen as uh, kind of wasting the seed or the jing. This is like mm. the life essence. And for women, they would try and cultivate their life essence. So... They, I suppose essentially they would have seen, it's kind of interesting, they'd look at men and women's sexual energy differently. So we'd say that men's sexual en- energy is more like fire. So it's like quick to come to heat, but also quick to burn out. And then a woman's sexual energy is more like water. So it takes longer to come to the boil, but will keep that heat for longer. And so they would have used these um, kind of principles. So this is the, the kind of yin and yang. So we'd say like the yin is... Um, the yin is cool, it's slow, it's um, receptive, it's being, it's stillness. The man is very active, it's an outward expression, it's more fast um, and, and very much about doing. Mm-hmm. And we can see that even in, in our genitalia, like the man is mm-hmm. external, the woman internal. But interestingly, like the idea of sex, it was always about harmonizing the energy of the heart. Um, and when it comes to the heart energy, actually, the women have yang energy in the heart. So actually women are very good at expressing their emotions. Um, the emotions will come quickly as well. Like for example, a woman might be crying one minute, five minutes later she's on stage giving a presentation, she could be nailing it. Like, and a guy's looking going, oh my God, that's crazy. Like what is going on? Um, likewise, a man might be really aroused and then five minutes later it's all kind of over and she's left a little confused going, what, what was that? So, and actually we say actually that a man's heart is very yin. So, um, and with that actually, it can actually take a man quite a lot to express his emotions and to really open up and to connect with that heart space as well. Um, so first of all, it's about having the harmony of yin and yang within, within oneself. And then um, the harmony of, of coming together then as well. Now I'm talking in more of a kind of a classical male-female relationship. Mm-hmm. But in same-sex couples, you usually tend to have one partner is more yang, the other more, more yin. So you can adapt to, the, to that kind of a scenario. Mm. But I think with it, it's really actually what it comes down to. They, they, they talk about this harmony of yin and yang and that the opposites attract and they can harmonize each other. Um, and even like the ultimate harmony of yin and yang is the coming together of the, of 
the start of life. So it's one egg, one sperm. Mm. And that's, that's, that's this, this total harmony that, that can happen. So essentially, <clears throat> in the Taoist tradition, they would have observed the female sexual response and it by it needing to take time. Mm -hmm. And the men would learn this. And um, so they had, I know there was one emperor, he was called Kuang Ti, and he would have had four sexual advisors. Three of them were women. So wow, women were seen actually as being... everyone have this? Yeah. <laughs> yes. So they would have four sexual advisors. Three were women. Wow. So women were seen actually as being much more superior sexually because of their orgasmic potential as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and also their understanding of sexuality. So <clears throat> they would have kind of really guided um, men in this. So there was a lot written about sexuality and there was a huge emphasis put on sexual, uh, the woman's sexual response. And the man was actually uh, advised to please the woman and to take the time. So it was all about slowing down, take the time. And he in turn would benefit from that because what happens is when both uh, are sexually aroused, they actually exchange energy. So the you know the, the woman will balance the man with her yin energy. Mm. The man will balance the the woman with her uh, with his yang energy. So it was about kind of reaching a similar level of arousal, and then this kind of exchange of energy that can happen, and that was kind of seen as a spiritual advancement of it as well. Um, now at some point later on, I think they called it the Han Dynasty. It was kind of about maybe two hundred BCE. Patriarchy did start to come in at that point. Interesting, I was going to ask you. Yeah, so it did actually start to come in. Um, and then they said for about 400 years that um, they managed, even though the structure of patriarchy was there, hmm. they managed to keep the core values. Um, and then after about 400 years, it started to get even worse. And they, um, they actually viewed women as the enemy because they could cause a man to ejaculate and lose his life, life oh, force. Wow, that's interesting. So it became really polarised. And um, and then, but eventually now it's kind of come back again. So they kind of got through that. But they managed to keep the original. The original teachings have been kept. And that's, I know you guys would have interviewed Master Montag Chia. <clears throat> and he's really the person who's kind of brought these teachings mm -hmm. now to the West. Um, and so they managed to kind of keep the original teachings and be able to, to share them with people. Um, so essentially, in a, like in a kind of classical male-female relationship, like a woman can actually help a man to open his heart. Mm. Um, and a, a, like a man with that yang energy can help a woman to open sexually as well. Okay. Um, and, this, and, and sometimes, actually, you know, sometimes like what I would, um, my experience and from my experience of teaching women is, often that women feel the penetration happens too quickly and they may not be aroused enough um, and then that can be maybe uncomfortable and um, and maybe they then have kind of a bad psychological reaction to that and a negative connotation around sex but actually the idea would be to understand the female sexual response but I would say that actually women need to, need to really understand that about themselves as well because I think a lot of women don't understand their own sexual response and they may be even initiating penetration much earlier than they're actually ready. So it's not always just about, oh, the man is, you know, uh, penetrating a woman too quickly. I would say that women really need to understand their own sexual response and to be really empowered in that, you know. And I think when you understand it, you're able, more able to communicate that with a partner, um, you know. And likewise, I think the heart thing is really interesting because actually sometimes, you know, um, men can actually feel attacked emotionally. You know, if a woman is maybe 
coming in too quickly into his heart and asking too many questions and wants him to open up too much and actually he really needs time to open up into that and mm. and also needs to be held afterwards um you know if he does open up he's actually in a very vulnerable mm. space he's in his yin space and actually really needs to be uh, held in that for some time afterwards the same way that after a woman has an orgasm she still wants to be held and you know maybe caressed and stroked um whereas a man might not necessarily have the the intuition to give that mm. so it's kind of interesting you know i think um like we talk a lot about sex but actually we need to also talk about the emotional the heart side of it as well and that's often i think i think particularly in the west we just look at sex we just box mm. it off mm. and say but we're not actually able to understand the heart connection bit and how actually men are vulnerable in that way too you know so and i think that's really important for kind of the harmony of the sexes as well um, cool, which is ultimately what this podcast series is mm. really about for us is trying to reintroduce yeah. some semblance of harmony between it, like rather than a combative, mm. a combative sort of state around it. Yeah. Um, Eva, I'm really interested in talking to you about this as well, because <laughs> so I mean, I'm I, I I won't I won't pretend to have any knowledge of what it's like to be in your body, to have your experience. I I'd love to know like what like in the origins of your your early life in your teenage years and your early kind of sexual fumblings that we've all had what <laughs> like what did 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 those things feel uh like like you were in uh did you understand the kind of the heteronormative thing as it was happening were you very self-aware earlier on or like how did like how did like your your what's become your trans identity kind of evolve from that or did, did it evolve from that or it was 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 your sexual experience part of that or, or independent of it or it was probably independent of it i okay. mean what i'm hearing here is like is is communication is key for the for a lot of this it's mm. like men need to talk to women women need to talk to men mm. we need to try and understand each other a lot better and uh, mm. we need to not be embarrassed by talking even you know talk about body parts as we were earlier on like you know it's a vagina what's wrong with saying the word vagina you know we don't need nicknames for these things but yeah but like I would have grown up, um, like I think it was about four or five when I realised I was transgender. Obviously, I didn't, again communication. I didn't have the vocabulary for that to express that, mm. but I would have grown up um, as sort of in a heteronormative environment in that, you know, I was attracted to women, so I was seen as as heterosexual. Okay. So because I was you know socialised as a male, people assumed I was a boy. I pretended to be a boy, yeah. and you know all my my relationships were with 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 women. You know right. so. Um, like I remember, and again, I'm, I'm, I am the oldest person here, so I would have grown up in the 70s and 80s, Catholic Ireland. So mm. I, I was given nice the, open atmosphere. Yeah. Nice open atmosphere. <laughs> I was given the talk when I was 12, 12 years old and yeah. was told that, um, and it was the Catholic version of the talk, which was, you know, um, your body is, a, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I was actually literally told no. and that master, masturbation was wrong and that didn't stop me, of course. But <laughs> it, 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 I think it really, that really works. I, I, I think you know, like, um, um, like I remember when I, when I when I told my son, I said, look, you know, it's okay to it's okay to masturbate. There's nothing embarrassing about it, you know, and it's fine. And he says, oh, did you masturbate when you were growing up? I says, oh god, yeah, all the time, you know. So, you know, I think we need to be open about these things. I think we need to not be embarrassed um, to explore our bodies, to you know, to and to communicate with the people we're with. You know, it's. Because there is there's this sort of pressure on men to perform in the bedroom and to, you know, and, you know, you, 
as 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 you were saying, it it can be a very vulnerable time, even even for men. You know, mm-hmm. so all my sexual relationships would have been pre-transition. So mm-hmm. um, I'll be honest, said I haven't been in a relationship since since I transitioned. So okay. I've no experience of of um, being in a sexual relationship as a trans woman. I can only speak from what I did as a pre pre-transition and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a very vulnerable time for people, I think, you know, and you know, it can be embarrassing. Um we don't like talking about sex in this country, we don't like talking about kinks in this country, we don't like talking about um you know, what gives you pleasure, what would you like to do, or you know, anything that's outside of sort of vanilla sex is like is sort of frowned upon and people get embarrassed by it and they don't want to talk about it. Yeah. So I well, think, you know, rebranded as the stocking stuff. Which sounds kind of very normal, actually, when you describe <laughs> it that way. <laughs> so, I mean, I think, you know, we all need to be a bit more open with each other about these things and not be embarrassed about it. You know, mm. I think and that's a long conversation to have in this country. I think mm. it's we have a long way to go yet. I mean, I think we're getting better. I think I know there are a lot of sex positive parents out there. I know some of my friends are really sex positive and are not embarrassed to talk to their kids about mm. sex. But, you know, we still live in a Catholic country or our schools have a Catholic ethos. They do not talk about this stuff and they will not talk. You know, to them, sex is a function and its function is to bring forth children, more Catholics for the country. You know, it's um, we still have to have to move on from that, you know, and talk about, you know, what gives us pleasure and what do we enjoy? And And, and in terms of like education with your own, is it son or daughter? Sorry. It was my son who was talking to. Your son, okay, yeah. yeah. So, uh, do they are they uh, in school system in Dublin or? Uh, no, and they would be in in Dundalk. Okay, so. and and are they seeing? Are are you seeing them come home with any more positive of an attitude to sex and sex education? Um, I I believe I am. Yeah, I yeah. mean, when when he talks to me about it, which but it's when he wants to talk about it. Okay. You know, so it would be um, he would be quite open. But only when he's ready to. I wouldn't. I'm certainly not going to force it on him. I'm not going to say, "Tell me." You're not going to sit him down. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me what you learned in sex <laughs> education today. <laughs> you know, um, it doesn't work that way, unfortunately. No. So, um, but I just, I, what I do is I leave myself open and say, "Look, you ever want to talk about anything? I'm here. I, and I, I've, I spoke about consent. I drummed that into them. Consent, consent, consent. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever you want to do is fine as long as there is consent." Yeah. always make sure there's consent and that's another thing we don't talk about in this country yeah and I think that's very much something that needs we all need to have that conversation and there's a lot of nuance around it, it yeah there's an awful lot of nuance eh? like what is the, is there a, is there a current definition around does consent? Yeah, consent should be freely freely given mutual um and informed and continuous informed and yeah. free of like substance substances as well and stuff okay. and then you have some people who say like that sex workers can't consent because money is exchanged so it's bought consent so that's mm. a whole mm. argument within itself and mm. stuff um because people use the fast i think acronym i think with like transactional or something which is yeah, and a lot of sex is transactional just in many yeah. different ways for affection and stuff. But with the consent stuff, it's amazing. It's fun because the first time consent classes in Ireland were brought in at Trinity, there was massive uproar mm-hmm. and these, all these opinion pieces in the newspapers about how terrible this is and they're telling us all men are rapists and all this kind of just horrific stuff. And um, it was awful. But this year I got to teach consent classes in DCU and we had to turn away hundreds 
of students. Yeah. Ooh, interesting. Amazing. And it it's wasn't good. just for the free pizza, because it was yeah, yeah, yeah. pizza everywhere. Um, <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. I got to teach as a two or three classes, and the gender divide was amazing. It was pretty much 50-50. Cool. And just, like, the conversations that people had, they really kind of understood what consent was. Now, obviously, you know, the people who are going to consent classes are already either have a little bit more of an understanding or they might be a bit more switched on and stuff so you know that's problematic in itself but to, like it's also too late as well at third level you know to be teaching consent because mm. people are sexually active before that mm. and it's consent shouldn't necessarily just be taught in the relation of, of sex sex is about bodily at- autonomy and integrity so you can teach that going back to primary school you know it's all those but it's very interesting at the moment that the current sex education bill before the doll at the moment will address consent but there are the politicians who are blocking it because they do not want consent taught to children which is shocking given what the are their reasons mm. it's because it's talking about sex too early is that correct yeah. yeah and outside wedlock and but it's very people mm. college uh, I, I'd say it's like endemic in a lot of parties it would like yeah. Fianna, like Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil, as awful as they are they're very fiscally conservative I wouldn't exactly say that worshipping the altar of capitalism makes you a good Catholic I'd be like the Healy right the last consent is weird though because I think it was May Luther somewhere where they shut down the proposed introduction of some consent classes they're just like oh yeah well like I think the idea was just, you know, the people who want to go will probably know about it anyway, but you can't make anyone talk mm-hmm. about how it's not okay to perpetuate, like, to perpetrate yeah. things on other people and how it's okay to find your own voice. And I think that was just bizarre. It's like you were talking earlier about, like, performing sex and, like, you know, how to perform mm-hmm. in a psychological. And I think, like, because obviously, like, I'm here now, but I grew up in around the world but in India and like my family are still very Indian um it's very strange because sex is like the conversations we have in general but more so in India because you know we have Bollywood and our attitudes follow the hype and the exaggeration of that in our news and everything um because we're so deeply dishonest and um well honest dishonest by omission but deeply dishonest about sex and sexuality and interactions every conversation that's had around it is a performance it's not you know this person was raped even here it's this is the rape accuser the accuser Mm -hmm. said this whereas the alleged rapist Mm -hmm. you know wept wept silently in court Mm -hmm. so much of this conversation isn't and like that's what's kind of worrying about consent class that you can teach to the people who are willing to learn. Yeah. But for so many cultures, there's this barrier. It's like, you know, you're not going to talk about kink when you can't even address just yeah. the fact that someone has a choice to make and it's an active and mutual choice, yeah. not mm-hmm. ideally to prevent a situation where, you know... I think that's a wider conversation as well, like even looking at kink and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like the fa- and what you were saying about silencing... And that culture of silence where we don't, like everyone knows about consent, it's yes means yes, no means no. And that, that's the basic pure level. Mm. But obviously we see in society that's not the consent that's actually being rolled out there. There's a study released yesterday that's um, a quarter of a te- 4,000 or 1,000 people said 
um, you don't have to ask consent in a long-term relationship every time mm. and sex within mm. marriage is always consensual and you're like mm. oh yeah, in, in Ireland it's in yeah. the UK but those well, values are reflected well, too as well in India but, that's wow. a huge social problem like right. we actually have like mm. political and like Le- um, legislative issues around whether like sex and marriage is rape or not I'm like mm-hmm. how exactly do you get to the point of honey I'm home well on your knees <laughs> at like wow. no point in that interaction is it like hey but it was only so rape put in marriage was only made illegal in 1991 in Ireland which is not that old. Uh, and there's been like basically like, three convictions since then so yeah. that's really shocking but mm-hmm. just in relation to like kink stuff mm-hmm. like you know when you're exploring your sexuality and you're kind of trying to figure out what i like do i like this thinking do i like a bit of kink do i like all these things of the you know smorgasbord of sexuality and all these options that are available to us if we don't have proper conversations about consent and about pleasure and you know in-depth stuff about yin and yang and all this kind of stuff like then we're into abusive situations and the kink scene in ireland is quite massive but it's also a lot of it is quite abusive because abusive people can hide behind something like, like you know, it's a of massive course, problem. Yeah. I mm. might dispute that, but that said, like I haven't, I'm I haven't very, but yeah, I have yeah. very much engaged with it in yeah. like the last years. I've been absolutely wrecked from yeah. abuse outside of it. But it's like, yeah, like I know mostly about like the scene around the city and. I find very often that it's a really reassuring space because I don't know, maybe it's just the spaces I've been in. It's like a lot of people who have been like stalwarts of the community for forever. And you know, they will mm-hmm. like a lot of the systems are like vouch based systems, yeah. but then like, I fully understand how that could equally be, yeah, there's a lot you know, of you're willing to prop up like yeah. there, there's, there's no, there's no abuse here when you were not willing to recognize the abuse of your friends like it's something you see in the queer community in college a lot and yeah. see it quite a lot in like when young people like young queer people people who are aware enough to understand identities because they've explored and like found where they are in it um i, I find the tension there quite problematic because mm. because you know they have had some degree of exploration they're now like oh well it's fine i don't see a difference there is like no ripples under the sea this this swan is gliding along perfectly fine <laughs> meanwhile under the water they're going by the way it's easier we're just gonna soft block them on twitter and that's gonna solve everything in real yeah. life so, yeah but i think that links into performativity as well and general wider society issues of abusive people are protected by communities and abusive people in the kink scene organize events and yeah you know that's problematic but then you expand that out to wider society and you have things like Fifty Shades of Grey which is very abusive and it's like such potential to be a great movie about kink and yes we should have movies about kink and it should be great but that movie is just so bad like it's great for it opened up a dialogue but then if you didn't have the critical thinking skills to look at that you might go oh this is what I'm meant to like as a woman or as a submissive I'm meant to put up with all these behaviours that may or may not be abusive um, not kink is not inherently abusive, but the, some people behind it, like in every mm. factor, like, mm. you know, there's abuse people in every world. But then you see groups of feminists protesting outside Fifty Shades of Grey, um, uh, like movie premieres and stuff like that, and saying kink is abuse and BDSM is abuse. Like in the 70s and 80s, um, there was a hardcore group of feminists in the US that said strap-ons were abusive and replicating the patriarchy. Mm. 
And if you're a feminist who is into BDSM, good luck to you because you're nothing more than an abuser. So that dialogue is there as well. So it's like, how do you navigate that if you don't have, like, you know, the critical thinking skills or the life experience or anything else? And a very strong moral place? compass and a strong voice. Yeah. yeah. Like, where do you find pleasure in that kind of world where you're told, you're told by men on one hand, this is one thing. You're told by feminists on another hand, this is another thing. And then you have to figure out your own path in the middle of it. It's mm. very complicated. Mm. And that's why we have, a, like, everyone is really quite vulnerable, especially mm. if you're trying mm. to explore sexuality publicly as well. And, you know, just navigating those waters. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, just, yeah. And, you know, so when you're new to a community as well, like, you, there are people who, whose little radars go up and be like, fresh meat mm. coming mm. in, no matter what community that is. And you see mm. a lot in, even like the, the woohoo, um, you know, like, the sexuality community. What's we're looking for? Tantra. Yeah, like yeah, there's yeah. so much abuse on Tantra as well. And, yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of men were like, well, if you don't do this, you're not a true Tantra yeah. person. Yeah. And oh. that's in every yeah. situation. So yeah. that silence is deadly in yeah. so many ways, you know. It seems to Especially. me like the key thing that you were talking about in Taoism is the, is the kind of key factor in changing that thing of when we're looking at sexuality or we're looking at our own sexuality when we move away from it being that purely mechanical pleasure-based thing and more into it being something that's on an energetic level mm. and that it has this extra level to it if you're able to tap into that thing and really have your own radar for is this working for me not just on a pleasure level not just mechanically but also energetically mm. and like having an idea of where is an endpoint that isn't just sexual penetration being an endpoint, but what yeah. is what is the reason around this and why might this be a health based practice and mm -hmm. and really framing it as a health based practice is a different kind of a thing because if you have that moral compass of going, is this healthy? Like is mm -hmm. this making is this health giving? Mm -hmm. That gives you a different thing, doesn't it? It yeah. gives you a framework around it that when you're navigating mm -hmm. anything around kink or anything like that, you're still being able to come back to not just is this pleasurable? Because mm -hmm. pleasure is funny. Like yeah. it can you can get mm. pleasure from pain, but not in a good way. Yeah. You can have been trained from your own family situation and your growing up yeah. thing to think that your pleasure is coming from pain. If you mm. have been in an abusive situation or if you've had mm. people abuse you who are telling you that they also love you, mm. then that can that switch can get flipped really mm. easily. Mm. And I think if you're coming back to if you were if everyone in school was being trained in mm. those kind of Taoist ways, yeah. that maybe it would be a different thing. Yeah that yeah. maybe we would begin to then slowly be able to have that the language mm -hmm. but also the experience or or just even the agency in ourselves to be able to go like yeah. this is what what is working mm -hmm. for me yeah. and i think one thing that um there's a big emphasis as well put on like they would refer to it as solo cultivation so uh, working on your own sexual mm -hmm. energy your own uh sexual pleasure and how you master how you can direct sexual energy within your own body so it's kind of like um, it's kind of like if you were playing tennis and you had like a doubles partner, you know, and you would play doubles, but then you would also play singles as well, just to improve your form and know what's mm -hmm. good and things like that. And then come back and play your doubles and your better kind of doubles partner as well. So I think that part is really key as well, just knowing um, knowing your own sexual response and then. And then, like Aoife, you talked about communication, and that's when, if you know your own sexual response, you're in a better position then to communicate. Um, you know, and even if it's a, you know, if it's in a kink situation or whatever, 
that you're you're in a position that you can communicate what what feels right for you as well, you know. So yeah. I just want to interject really quickly, like just just on the thing you said about you know, like some people take pain take pleasure from pain, and like it can be, like because it's like your formation. Every person has a formation. I just want to have like a caveat of like, if you enjoy that, you enjoy that, and if that is what brings you emotional fulfillment, fine. And yeah, just because like everyone's kink is their own, and yeah, for some people it might be and it might not, but there's so much wrapped up in the performance of a kink, like wrapped up in the negotiations you have with someone in those kind of dynamics. And it's if you then go down, you're going like, you know, but sex isn't this clean thing, it's messy mm. and glorious, and it's enjoyed by people in very different ways anyway. So, like, yeah, just if, if, if like, it, like, if it doesn't, like, if it doesn't matter to you that that's why you enjoy it or if that's mm. something that you're actively like yeah. seeking closure with or whatever yeah. it's just having awareness around that yes yeah. and yeah. clarity of clarity of understanding that mm. you're not going into that flying blind yeah. oh yeah for sure yeah. i think a lot of it, like things that are deemed weird sex as well like i'm fascinated with objectum sexuality so that's when you're sexually attracted to inanimate objects like the woman who married the Eiffel Tower and sometimes <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> because I think that the process of that really fascinates me because number one you have to name that to yourself and you have to name this is what I'm turned on by this is my thing and whether that's kink or whatever it is and so um, and then you have to act on it um, so whether that's with a person or an Eiffel Tower or <laughs> and then a lot of the times people talk about this publicly as well so they'll t- talk to magazines or make documentaries about it and all this and it's like at the risk of losing friends and family and jobs because mm. society thinks this is weird yeah. and it's just it's fascinating that the process people Do go you know on the neurobiology around this I've never thought about it but I'm fascinated I, I think part of it is a connection to trauma and a relationship with another human is kind of shut down because okay, yeah. it, you're fearful of, of being hurt I think yeah. but I think that's a very simplistic yeah. explanation but that's even like when people marry prisoners in death row they're never going to come out they're mm. never going to come near them so they mm. they have a relationship but the, it's safe you know mm. even if the person's a mass murderer mm. or something like mm. that but even things like you know daddy little girl play and stuff like that that really squicks a lot of people out and there's you know men who are dressed in diapers and all this kind mm. of stuff but again like that might come from trauma or whatever that comes from but if they're not hurting anyone and that's the thing and that's the level they're at and they don't want to or they can't afford that well then like obviously in yeah. in kink organized spaces that would just be like look i'm here to facilitate like i remember being asked you know like are you are you sure you're okay things can get pretty weird it's like i have seen every bodily fluid come out of work that they really shouldn't and those have been like actual medical things that have had me worried because i was not expecting that my first week of like <laughs> placement <laughs> Like, if it, so long as people are, you know, in the moment or generally, like, enjoying themselves, if someone looks like they're having a not good time, and there is, I want to call it an art, but there is an art to, like, knowing when someone is in pain or, like, knowing when someone is in emotional pain or not having, yeah. or, like, not having a good time related to it. It's like, if I see that, then, no, like, I'm going over and being like, what, like, firstly, what can be done to facilitate? Because sometimes it's just, like, an awkward position or something that they haven't really realized, but that's what's bugging them. Yeah. But, or just be like, no, look, this is, there is someone here who is safe you can talk to. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's like, it's none of my business. It's, it's not my thing, but it's also not my business. Mm. <laughs> and do you think a lot of this, like, 
So this repression, well, do you think, <laughs> can you speak to how a lot of that, when it does come out, solves problems for people in their outward life, in their like day-to-day non-sexual life? Um, well, I certainly, like, there's very simple things that people enjoy. Like, there will be people who will go to spaces who, you know, they just kind of want to get hit. Just, just like, want to take a nice loving, relax the shoulders. And then be like, I actually just, like, feel very fulfilled now. And I'm like, kind of nice, good. Like, some things are very simple, and actually, it's a very unusual conversation I had with a person not too long ago, um, and they were like, you know, yeah, look, you know, this this is, like, a situation I described, and it's like, you know, well, if, like, you know, I could be in this situation with someone, and, you know, I would do X thing that will go on for confidentiality's sake, it's like, you know, but it'll be fine, because I will enjoy this, and, you know, it will cause that person pain and then like person was like look you can do that once but i'm never coming back again because i can i i can ask for that and be okay with that in the moment but i like i'm just as okay with the fact that i would never ever be around you again if that happens so if you're willing to make that trade-off fine so it's just like things can feel okay in the moment and that is situational consent you can be like yeah i'm consenting to be put in this position but this is the like what you need to know about the rest of how that situation is going to unfold because that's how two parties give informed consent mm-hmm. so that's an incredible level of self-awareness that's impressive isn't it and it's so rare a lot of us don't get to that because yeah. sex education is so yeah. poor yeah. and our knowledge of consent is so poor and our knowledge of pleasure is so poor because mm-hmm. some people would be like where is the pleasure in that because mm-hmm. we don't have that dialogue and we, we just you're either a good Catholic girl or you're weird or you know there's something like that and again I think that's patriarchy shutting all that yeah. down as well and, mm. and certainly like if you go from that sphere into them just being like oh I'm just dating just like you know normal people I guess by comparison it's like oh sweetie what am I doing to you <laughs> <laughs> but no it, it's, it's like I don't know I suppose I've had exceedingly good fortune in the like partners have always been like you know you've been like oh that's a bit weird or been like no well i'll try and understand give me time and eventually like that's what's happening um but yeah it's like sometimes it takes that one person to go and be like well this is what i'm into or this is what i'm going to like maybe not all the dynamics you will have in your life will account for that Mm -hmm. but that's true for a lot of things like you enjoy golf that doesn't mean like every conversation you have with every friend will involve golf certainly if anyone has a conversation with me about golf yeah. i'm like oh, I'm checking out no you anymore Weirdo. like no so old yeah. Yeah. just like yeah like that level of self-awareness you don't really get in conversations but that's also because it's hard it's hard being someone in that position it's like the stupid like underrepresented groups thing rehashed again it's always it's hard being someone who is like taken all the knocks to get to that understanding and then be like how do I explain this to you mm. where it doesn't leave you requiring an intensive psychiatrist like I, do. <laughs> <laughs> I have to pick up your brain off the floor <laughs> yeah pretty much and sometimes people are just will come along for the journey sometimes people won't and yeah it's like sometimes that energy won't be worth expending mm. and you don't do it you just need to realise which like don't like using which battles to pick. This is like the Peter me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so in terms of like, language. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, in terms of that patriarchal kind of aspect to this, like, what what do you see 
like we're in we're in a very kind of unique situation here and we've got people who are very open to expressing what they feel and what they want and and how they how they would like the world to look when you step back out into the real world like how how close are we to to making significant change and is it like you know generations like your children i don't know if anyone else here has children but um are, are going to be in a significantly different place or are we are we, are we still or am i fooling myself saying that like the patriarchy is kind of crumbling at that level or like where where are we at i think it's we're on a cusp i think you know in, in society the fact that like ireland is horrendous for some things but positive in a lot of things it's amazing yeah. isn't it we passed um same-sex marriage we have the gender recognition act mm. now um, mm. like some classic bag levy yeah like even like in 2016 you know we had emma kenny saying we need the national conversation on porn and i was kind of involved in that because i was like yes i will have a conversation with you about porn and um, but most <laughs> of the conversations were just appalling it was really? just Porn's bad, it's gonna ruin your kids, and that's pretty much it, you know? And now. And was that the agenda Enda Kenny and, and, and Fiel well, were setting? He, or? La- he launched that need for the conversation at a victim support helpline, and he said there's avalanches of porn coming in. So it's very inflammatory mm. language as well. And a lot of the media ran with that, and, you know, um, the, the example I give is that there's someone on the Late Late Show, and I was in the audience ready to talk, and they ran out of time, and I was like, oh, I need to talk about this. <laughs> but they were saying, someone um, who had very religious connections was saying that watching porn online is the same as getting PTSD from watching ISIS beheadings online. And you're like, whoa, there's so much to unpack there, and no one talks about pleasure, it's just fear, and this terribleness. So I wrote a report on that, and how we had the conversation about that. So I've been in the media in October and the difference is astounding. Like I'm getting half hour conversations on like the Ray Darcy show and we're talking about pleasure and parenting and how the parents help their kids talk about sex and um really like positive conversations where I've got to say the word orgasm on Irish radio quite a lot. (laughs) And it's like to advocate for like conversations that are pleasure and to advocate for like the sex education bill as well. So to see that, and then also to see that, like, after like, the Belfast rape trial, we shut down on Con Street, and we said, fucking enough is enough. Yeah. Um, and that was around the, the world. And then again, um, at the consent panel last night, you now they made a good point of, um, you know, the, the rape trial with the thong that was used mm-hmm. as evidence. Um, she said, if that had happened a couple of years ago, we wouldn't have had the same response to it. And it would have been, like, again, it was her fault she was wearing a thong. That myth would still be there. But the fact that and um, we stood up and we were mm. like, no, this is not happening. We're not taking this. That barrister is a horrible person for doing that. And that was the focus. It wasn't on the victim's behavior. It was the focus on how dare that barrister do that. So we mm. are at a much better place and we are having these conversations and the fact that the consent classes are being more um, received as well is a massive thing. We have the MA in sexuality studies in DCU for seven years now. I'm doing PhD in porn. Like, yeah. not think yeah. that was ever going to be a thing. And it's just, there's so many more initiatives being set up. And, um, like, you know, I put out that Twitter call for, like, to talk to um, sex educator, ed- educators of colour or trans people and getting people coming back. And that's a thing as well. So it's more diverse. The Science Gallery has a three-month-long exhibition on intimacy where we're having conversations on sex and disability and consent and porn and it's like this is amazing it's mm-hmm. absolutely amazing to have we have more workshops and there's women's circles and mm-hmm. you know with more trans people being more visible in the media um you know obviously that comes with its own challenges mm-hmm. as well and i'm sure you still know but there's like 
there's so much more to do, but we have achieved so much, and it's important to recognise mm. how far we've come from a state of silence and Magdalene laundries and bishops talking about sex. I, I yeah. think some of the dynamic has shifted as well because I think, as like you know, for me when I I only moved to England about ten years ago, ago, and yeah, like the conversations that you have in India haven't really changed mm. much, and a lot of like my family's cultural. Conversations are based around that, although, like, I think now they've just gotten to the point of looking at my Twitter and being like, okay, log it off for the day. <laughs> it's like, enough is enough. But, like, I think the conversations from perspective of me as a person of color, it's like, we're, I think Ireland's starting to realize, because, you know, I'll, I'll drag them by the hair if I have to, that, like, you know, you, like, you put a call out for people of color. Um, like, people were shocked when the solicitor did. Yeah. Like uh, the solicitor, the way with the way the solicitor acted in, in the trial, and I'm really disappointed that I'm now known on Twitter because I'm like, like really really shitty underwear said she's like oh you're good she's like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like but yeah it's like you know people were asking me was well, I did an interview with Dazed on the issues that have unfolded and it was like talking to them about how minority groups feel that struggle much more and the thing is we feel it every day it comes back to what you were saying earlier about. If you're a certain class, you were seen as a slut. And like, yeah, like for a lot of people who are middle class and white women, which is where the conversation is going, like, you know, they were shocked that another middle class white woman would do this. Right. And it's like, yeah, no, we're, we don't get to be empowered over our sexuality ever. We are always the slut. We are always the accuser who is always painted, painted in a bad light. Like if you were queer, if you're a migrant, I, I, I mentioned trans is distinct to this only because of like the general social like conversation about trans people from like privileged white feminism to appalling. Like mm. we'd never get to do that climbing and like we're very lucky that we have people like you who've been able to be like, I'm gonna be a doctor of porn. Mm. I'm gonna be a doctor of porn and I like honestly, mm. what am I doing with my life, Caroline? We're lucky that we have people who have like gone to I imagine like considerable social people to be like from the position you started out in to be open about the work you do and take so much passion from it. That you know, you can then come back and be like other people are having these conversations, but it's like the shock that a lot of people felt was a very manufactured product of a very privileged feminism, like the kind that stands outside Fifty Shades and goes, kink, all kink is bad, because it's more about performing wokeness than... Performing good sexuality. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, the clean sexuality, you know? Yeah. Not... Unless you go away, it's fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, and, like, not something that should be available for everyone unless you have the money to, you know, get away with being a bit weird. Mm. Like, yeah, there, there's a certain like level of respectability, and respect is largely earned through money. Like, even we can say Ireland is as Catholic as we like, but it's largely earned through how much money you have and how you can afford to portray yourself. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, just with um, you know, with regards to patriarchy, and I think um, like there are kind of social structures in place that are very patriarchal, and with the you know the long influence of the church and stuff, but. I think sometimes what I often think of it is like on a relational level, like how we can address patriarchy. So, for example, as a woman, like your relationships with 
men in your family or friends or colleagues or you know the guy who serves you in the shop like like how how does that play out you know and what can you do to address that you know and I think I actually think that's where the big shift comes when we look at it from like a relational level mm. um actually interestingly I remember I went into Woody's um it was last summer to buy a saw and the guy asked me was it for an arts and crafts project <laughs> Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, give me your arm. I'll show you the project. <laughs> I'm, I'm kept trying to kept trying to sell me the cheaper one. I was like, no, but that one's better quality. It's only five euro extra. I want a good one, like, um, you know, and just kind of challenging people, you know, yeah. and and sometimes, you know, um, you know, maybe a friend has kind of maybe made a comment or um, done something in such a way that maybe is a little on the patriarchal side, but maybe they're not aware of it. So it's maybe also addressing that with kind of, you know, with respect and dignity and trying to bring them along rather than, Mm -hmm. I think if we go in really angrily, I think it just creates more polarization. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important because a lot of this is so subconscious, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and a lot of times people have maybe patriarchal attitudes or views that they're, maybe not even aware of themselves but um yeah so I think we can kind of look at it from that point of view and actually traditionally like way back the like the Celtic way was very matriarchal so you know a lot of times I think we still have on a relational level it can be really quite good actually here um in some ways that you know the kind of so I think that can be a way to you know, looking moving forward, how, yeah. how we can address it ourselves. And can you speak to like um, patriarchy and how it's maybe how it's unconsciously taught in schools or uh, like in, in primary schools or, or where that is at the moment and and uh, like simple kind of fixes? Because the weirdest thing is that when we think, well, not the weirdest thing, but one of the aspects of it is that it's all largely teachers in primary schools and secondary schools are largely women. It's one of the female dominant industries, but it mm. still hands down the same system to met boys and, and girls mm-hmm. equally mm-hmm. uh like is there a, a a change in that that's kind of happening are there simple things that can be done to evolve that like what also can i just add to that yeah. what can we do obviously i have a son who's four uh, like what can we do as parents of this younger generation what are the changes that we can be making in the home that can help to try and offset that mm. thank you like I work closely with um, a woman called Sarah Sproul who runs the Talk Dog. Mm-hmm. We have her on the podcast. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, episode eight. Really early. Yeah. She's great. She's just, I'm just like I'm not really, I'm not really. Mm. And uh, but she's obviously you know working to kind of address the fact that like parents don't know themselves, you know, because they were a product of terrible sex education and a very patriarchal system mm. and a very white Catholic Irish system back in the day. So they're kind of having to learn unlearn all that ingrained you know nonsense. But I think the internalized patriarchy, you know, I don't know why we expect our teachers to know any different because they're having their own struggles and learning as well. Mm-hmm. So I think I think kindness is at the root of it and recognizing we're all trying to unlearn all of those things and you know what we're taught and especially we were taught shame and we were taught stigma and we were taught the correct way to have sex to be a good woman. Mm-hmm. Um and then obviously for men they were thought like they you know it was all about like you know making babies in marriage and that was kind of it and stuff Mm -hmm. but i think to widen that kind of conversation and like expose our young people again to like just diversity and different thoughts and and different experiences and i think tenny do work in schools as well and belong Mm -hmm. to and you know having all these public voices coming out and, and having a different conversation as well but also kind of being kind to people and learning like you know I know we've, I think we had this conversation before and 
I made some massive like horrendous statements about like I didn't understand the trans experience and I was like but you're socialized as male so didn't have a female experience as mm. such and now I'm like oh my god that's like no that's just such a failure on every level of understanding and wokeness and everything else but like I suppose it's a way of being kind and not everyone comes to the table with the perfect understanding and people mm. are coming from different experiences and different backgrounds and some people never learn all that some stuff. Some people also mm. never make no. it to the table. Mm. Well, some but people are afraid to ask. Being well, a kid is when you learn, like, I, the only reason I know so many languages is because I learned them as a kid. Now I can't learn Irish, but that's because no one will teach me. <laughs> but it's like, it's not that hard when you're teaching kids then, just to teach them to use a kind of language. Like, a friend of ours, and like, their daughters, like, started socializing in school as female. Yeah. It's like, kids are happy. Like, happy out, fun, nice dress grand mm. it's not that hard for them to learn a kinder language like when you're a child like i think it's between the ages of like one and three if you put like eight different golden retrievers in front of the kid they will be able to recognize each one of them and they will be like have a personality in their head that they attribute to each of them and now i'm like i, I wouldn't be able to tell one person from another on the street it's like kids do have the incredible capacity to learn and build empathetic understanding mm-hmm. at a very early age and it's absolutely worth like having those conversations if you feel empowered to do it or if you can't finding the people like you exist like if someone wanted to come talk to them i would there's experiences that obviously like everyone won't have but using that time using that time to give kids like a kinder language it's like something i was saying yesterday or the day before on twitter it's just like you know people like but patting everyone's back, going, you know, political correctness is the mm. best kind of kindness. I'm like, it's just civility. When did saying the objectively true thing and not putting the effort into being an asshat <laughs> become <laughs> such a valuable commodity that people are getting paid to write about it? Just yeah. That's just the dumb thing. Yeah, I think it sort of behoves like people like us who actually stand up and, and speak out mm. to to be cognizant of the fact that that not everybody gets it not everybody understands the experience that, that we go through as individuals and to be open to being asked questions you know and it's it's difficult it can be frustrating and it can be really irritating sometimes and i'm not always the most patient with people when they ask me questions <laughs> and you sort of have to sort of figure out well is this person actually genuine or are they trying to sort of catch me out on something mm-hmm. that they can the use good yeah specifically yeah, to yeah, death yeah the, the whole sea lining yeah. thing you know where yeah. the, and you you know you do pretty much learn quickly to, to sort of filter those guys out um so it's about i mean it's the reason i speak out is because I, I want to educate people. I want to make it easier for trans people to come after me um, because, you know, it's not easy. It wasn't easy growing up. It was very difficult in, in the Ireland of the 70s and 80s. Mm. But I think, you know, like you said, like we've come a long way in a short space of time. We, we've had to be dragged kicking and screaming into the 21st century. But but here we are. I think we're getting there. I think we're a kinder society than we used to be. I think we're a much more open society. I mean, obviously, we still have an awful long way to go. And um, certainly in regards to trans rights, we're ahead of the curve, I think, compared to even compared to the UK and other. And oh, dear. <laughs> let's not go there. Um, um, and, you know, we're one of the top countries in the world. OK, our healthcare system is terrible for trans people, but societally, we are much, much more advanced I think, than, yeah. than most in, other countries. In, what, yeah. in, yeah. I mean, in terms of healthcare, what's what's the failing? What's the 
Um, basically, there are two places in Ireland where you can get trans healthcare. Uh, one is in Lachlanstown. Right. There's a 25 month waiting list just, just to be seen. And when you're seen, you're referred to a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist has to give you a diagnosis of gender dysphoria before you'll get medically treated. So what? before you get hormone treatment or before you get blockers, yeah. Wow. Like when um, I when I went to anything on a medical record yeah, is it's crazy. Well, but like when I went from, for for my treatment, I was referred to a psychiatrist in St Patrick's Hospital, and I went there, and you know it, it was an hour long session, and this this guy asked me loads of really personal intimate questions, and as he was asking me these questions he was dictating the letter that he was writing to Lachlanstown about me while I'm sitting here listening and he's going and Aoife's wearing a short skirt and black tights and she's overweight and, she, and I'm <laughs> fucking sitting here like you know it's just oh it's God. really dehumanizing it's really horrible but you, that's the game you have to play like and I deliberately wore a skirt that day because if I didn't wear a skirt he will not take me seriously he'll think I'm not trans because I'm not dressed in a feminine enough way you know wow. so you see amped it up yeah, yeah, yeah i just you have to do <laughs> you know it's it's crazy but you have to you have to play the game you have to jump through the hoops because otherwise you don't get the treatment you need you know so um, gender and sexuality is a performance thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> people are just not content with letting anyone be yeah. Mm. yeah it is that that comes back though to our like stuck ideas of what it is to be a woman mm. and what it is to be a man mm. and, and that's kind of the heart of this conversation really isn't it it's about kind of going well what is that like yeah. what is woman it's confusing mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, well, I mean to come back to sort of Car what Caroline was saying there about how trans women are sort of socialized as male I mean that's that's the big sort of turf thing where they they say, well, you know, you're not a woman because you're you you've got all the benefits of being socialized as a male. And I'm going, well, you try living as a trans woman in a patriarchal society. You try fitting into that sort of narrow gender stereotype that they, they force you into against your will and you do not want to be there. I mean, that's, you know, all women have different experiences. None of us have the same. We have commonalities, but everybody has different experiences. Like my experience as a trans woman is different to a person of color who's a trans woman completely different you know and i would never ever want to speak over them or about them they have their own experiences and much more horrific like i have white privilege you know i'm really really lucky to live in a country that i live in whereas in the us you know the life expectancy is, is so low for trans women of color and is it really yeah i mean 35 is, is a general yeah that's generally because of um violence because what? um a lot of them um, and again, this is not anti-sex work, but a lot of them go into sex work because they can't get employment um, in any other sort of industry. People, people will not hire trans women, wow. you know. So. And, and are there laws against that though, right? But it, like rarely enacted sort of Rarely laws, enacted. It's like generally it's, it's sort of, you know, the bigger companies are great, but, mm. you know, and they, they're because they want to be seen as diverse and inclusive. Whereas, yeah. you know, you look at a small, even here in Ireland, if you look at a small company, it probably doesn't even have a HR department. Mm. An employee comes up and says, "Well, I'm trans and I want to transition." They're not. They're not going to know what to do. They're not going to know how to how to handle it. No. Damn. And and is there are there people who train that aspect for businesses to deal with, or is there? Well, Tenny, I know Tenny do a lot of work around this area. Who are Tenny? Sorry, I'm telling Tenny is sort of Transgender Equality Network Ireland. Okay. And they will go around and speak to employees or sorry employers and about best sort of policies. Okay, great. Like I'm lucky. Like I work for a large corporation. I transitioned 
two years ago um, and I've been working for that about four years at the time and they had no trans policy in place when I transitioned so I was the first person within that company to transition globally so it's um wow and that's a huge first a huge you know it's a huge first so um but mm. somebody had to take that's not that somebody had to take that step but somebody was going yeah. to come along one day it just happened to be me yeah, yeah. yeah. and um and you know I took that step and since then we've brought in a policy and another person has transitioned in in one of the US offices mm. and another one is in the process of transitioning so wow. And that's only because I spoke out about it and I'm invisible. And it, it, you know, it, it, I don't say I paved the path for people, but it, you know, it's only by visibility and representation that you know people will actually mm-hmm. listen and they will, you know, they will say, oh, it's okay, it's okay to do this. You know, yeah. it's not, it shouldn't be that big of a deal. You know? And and in your previous work life before that, was that was that the first time that you'd really taken a new job as a trans woman? Was that? No, I was I was already working. Okay. So I was four years there. Okay, so yeah. when I told my HR manager, oh, right. I went like when I first joined that company, I had a beard. And okay. So, so I'd when like I told, to change my photo on the computer, I think I want to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> like I remember my first day back as as Aoife, um, somebody somebody came over and says, "Hmm, I hear you've changed your name." <laughs> but um, that's just part of this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So I mean, obviously, my HR manager had never encountered this before, and. We just got through it together, you know. We sat down every week. We planned what we would do, you know, email changes, who would we would who we would tell, cool. um, badge changes, all those sort of little things that you you have to think about. You yeah, know, yeah, and yeah. And was that a particularly good HR manager? Do you think she you was just one, to, okay. absolutely yeah, wonderful? Just a bit of a gem. Mm. She was brilliant, and mm. um, you know, so we met every week, and then on the day I came back as Eva, she had arranged a bunch of flowers for me and saying welcome back, and you know. You know, acceptance matters to us here. Rock you know, and roll, Jeepers, that's great. Yeah. I mean, that's a, a path you want to carve. <laughs> Somebody's well, like doing I mean, it with okay, you. Okay, it was for Mastercard. I worked for Mastercard, so I might, okay. might as well give them the credit because they've yeah. been absolutely wonderful. About should it, absolutely you know? for everything so, else there and, is. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that jokes you've made a million times. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you know, it's been very, very positive. But I do realise that I have privilege. Like I work yeah. for a global corporation where you know they're. They're very good with diversity and inclusion, and it's part of their their culture. But it's not like that for everybody. Mm. Even in even in Ireland, it's not like that for mm. everybody. No, like there are small companies. Exactly. Platforming, because like when I met with Tatler um, after the whole like lack mm. of representation, they didn't they had a credit. They were very upfront. Like we don't really know about your experience. The first thing said it's like we can't really speak to your experience, which honestly really good play considering two days later ted were there like we'll have white women talk about your experience and like people who aren't disabled and mm. people who aren't queer talk about you and it'll be fine come ask them questions about your identity like that were pretty honest they're just like look i can't speak to your experience and i wouldn't want to do you want to like you know take control of this and that has now evolved into me being like well might as well start the website because i want people of all backgrounds to be able to just like have a space where they can host their work and be like if you want someone to talk to we are here and we are visible and there is no excuse for not doing it but that move is hard Mm. in like i I never experienced something like that like anywhere else in the world where it's be like you know the ad like the adamant nature of pretending that discrimination doesn't happen and like far from acceptance being like your existence makes me feel like I'm worth less because of the color of my skin. You know, like I, I couldn't speak to your experience at all. But it's like, if you 
come into any kind of environment already facing that kind of backlash and that's just like general like social consensus i guess because that's the social consensus like the media shapes consensus the media feeds it that's the consensus the media feeds because it's easier because everyone working in a newsroom or in a magazine is like 30 something rich and white and that like, you know starts from the fundamental level of education access pre-internships whatever but it's like if you can't even talk about things professionally without being called over emotional or nasty then how are you going to talk about things like consent when you're being over emotional and nasty mm. how are you going to talk about things like messy sex when you're being over emotional and nasty how are you going to talk about the fact that you deserve to like enjoy your life as much as like i i still feel physical discomfort when i say something like enjoy my life because there is so much discrimination that it is hard it's like i i don't think in the last three years i've taken a single day off where i've been like but you know, there was that weekend I tried to like just have a weekend without my phone because my heart was like, you need time off. And I was like, a couple of hours for work. I don't think I've taken a single like, half a day off ever when it's not been for work because otherwise you're seen as lazy and nasty. And it's so hard to, because this is like the one thing that I would, that I would say to people that you should do if you can. And it's not really to do with money. It's really, it's kind of just to do with things that make you feel happy. If something makes you feel happy, like don't be frugal about it. It's hard to do when you're marginalized and it's hard to do when you don't have the resources, but it's like if sex makes you happy, like really enjoy it. If writing makes you happy, really enjoy it. And if working makes you happy or building more access for people makes you happy, then like give it your heart and really enjoy it because we're so stuck in like a world where we're socialized to be frugal because frugality is how you get ahead or not expressing emotions is how you get ahead and it's it's exhausting and it's unhealthy and it's like that's the sort of nonsense that makes you be like oh yes i'm a medical student but i'm just like seriously fucking depressed and it's like one of those conversations that we don't really have in our field a lot but i've been quite lucky because i got to watch adam k and then i got to read dr farrell's new book like a lot like a lot of the things that we run into in my profession or like the profession i'm going to go into are a lot of this image of you know the doctor as a receptacle for all your worries for all your gross jiggly bits and <laughs> every time that like you've come close to death and are now not but you're also people and you don't deserve to have to be that stoic all the time and it's hard when you're underrepresented because do is be like strictly academic mm. me doing this is insane <laughs> but yeah everything you do is so academic so bare bones because you can't ask for anything barely ask for the minimum it's like if you can do anything for yourself to fulfill your soul it's to not be frugal with the things you love and i think that just leads to you having mm. higher standards for mm. like how you expect to be treated in work how you expect it to be treated privately you express what you love it's like we have a long way to go yet mm. folks yeah a long way to go yet because those things are still terrifying and i imagine like face barriers of class mm. or barriers of identity and like, being misidentified and misunderstood that's mm. harder in various different ways but it needs to be done <laughs> i guess it comes back to like if you're thinking about frugality or you're talking about frugality it's also like 
the key thing that we're saying here is don't be frugal with your conversation mm. like, yeah, don't, don't, be, don't be frugal in expressing yourself mm. and sort of See, this is the thing. Look at me. I'm, I'm second guessing myself even now, being like, it sounds like it's too much time to take away. But it shouldn't be. You should kind of be able to, if if that's something you, you feel okay with doing, you should be able to have the conversations. Take a second and be like, look, is this something I want? Mm-hmm. The most freeing thing I've done in the last month since like my really bad mental health break was just being like, I said no to two things in one week. <laughs> I have not said no to any work things in the last like four years. They said no to two things in one week. And I was just like, honestly, this is what I needed. Mm-hmm. This not doing, just mm-hmm. being is what I needed. And it's that's the yin. It's, that, I, yeah, I mean, clearly, because I, I am the most high strong person most people know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like, it's not being afraid to have that conversation with yourself and then not being afraid to take it forward. Mm. And if other people aren't receptive of it, creating a space where they can be so that someone else who's in your position or similar doesn't have to like go Do through that, that middle stop. Do you think that, time. sorry, that, that aspect or the people's vi- view of your lack of frugality towards self-care yeah. or whatever it is, is that reframed because you're marginal in terms of your skin color and stuff as well? Is is that is that part of that? Is what that do you mean? Well, are, are you are you saying that people? I, I was just wasn't totally sure I was picking up right. Are you saying that like people's optics on you deciding to? Oh say yeah, no, absolutely. It's oh, it's incredibly okay. different because, I mean, you only have to look at like the, the whole conversation with Ted. It's like asking for equality framed as nasty backlash. Asking okay, for equality, yeah. doing unpaid labor to be like, hey guys, this is probably not okay. Like, I am willing to give my time, f- like, for free, just like anyone else's, but I'm willing to give time that I had planned so that you can have some, you know, token of semblance of legitimacy and not false advertising your diversity. <laughs> and then people being like, oh no, this is nasty backlash. Then the Irish uh, Times yeah. covering the entire issue that unfolded with no credit to the any of the original sources with a single word reframing everything i'd said in i'd like to think reasonably academic language i feel like you were vaguely keeping up with it reframing all of it as just nasty backlash and people get paid to write that wow so i didn't know it sorry oh no it's fine it like oh it's weird because that whole thing came at such a weird point like I'm like my mental health is the lowest it's been in like four years, like some really dark period, about exactly a month and two days ago, and then this all happened and it was this really weird breakpoint of moving me from like complete, like frugality and care of anything, because like I was seriously depressed. Like mm. I was eating jelly cups, and mm. that was all. Like jelly cups and maybe a pot of plain unsalted pasta over three days, because mm. I just didn't care about anything anymore and that kind of drove me into caring because I was like there is no point apologizing for making a valid point in a well-reasoned way when I'm doing it for free anyway what do I have to lose and I can make access easier for other people and to be honest you know what I want to be heard I may not deserve to be heard because lots of internalized racism and other discrimination but I want to be heard so that when there's inevitably a much better voice than mine they don't have to do this work again. Okay. And it's like not having that holding back 
kind of drove me into not being frugal with myself in like the extreme way I was when I wasn't well. Okay, yeah. There's Sorry. a conversation to have there though about the labour you have to take on as a person of colour to correct white people's bullshit. Oh um, no. And the fact yeah. that like, you know, okay, there's, there's a space for ignorance and not knowing maybe yeah. they didn't know that their panel wasn't diverse enough even though there's it was just all white but it's the apology that comes afterwards as well and just like a case of like recognizing our white privilege and holding your hands up and saying mm-hmm. got it wrong mm-hmm. sorry mm-hmm. messed up it's what not like sorry asterisk yeah it's like it's like, not like what can we do and when people give you an option oh at their own cost being yeah. like oh you know oh yeah also this idea that ignorance is validated by you not being paid I was just like, oh yeah, we don't get paid for this event. It's like if your under if your interest for learning genuinely only goes up to the point where it's like fulfilling your desire for money, then like don't even bother trying to say that you're platforming any kind of activist conversation. Because like Dave yesterday, I was like, you know, why aren't people writing? And it's like people who write are people who have like the most skin in the game, but the least resources. Because the people who have the resources already just don't really look beyond that, yeah. and they're the same people who'll be like, you know we won't really learn unless because we're not getting paid for this event yeah. and then when I go to publications and I'm like hey I will mm-hmm. sort this out and I'm like, huh. yeah I know you vaguely mentioned pay and I was like yeah yeah sounds about right so yeah it's just like the the standards and it's something I was saying with Tony and Echo Chamber because like they put their heart and soul into running that cat it's like the standard for content given away for free is so much higher and the standard for content given away continuously is so much higher because everyone's like, oh, look, you tripped up there. It's like, no, I didn't. But you didn't say the things we wanted to. Ah, there mm, you go. That's now. different. There <laughs> you go. Now. Yeah. It's like, whereas people, you know, write paid op ads and just like, it's good enough for them to turn around and be like, oh, yeah, just, you know, contact me via, via DM if you want to chat. And it's like, why, why should I have to make that move at all? You could have done that even to credit work before you accepted money from being the white person who was already being privileged enough to do the thing. Mm-hmm. I think even like, it's a good thing I like I like being a little brat. <laughs> it's a good thing I like being a little brat so otherwise just I think even like with this podcast as well, Lily, when you came to me and were like, you know, do you want to take part of it? And I was like, who else is on? And you know, it's known yourself. You know, Beth, obviously we're all white women. I was like, can we just make this a bit more diverse? Because you're mm-hmm. talking about what it's like to be a woman in Ireland. And it's like, yeah, and I had the, you yeah. know, the diversity thing in mind. And the fact that you were like, yeah, okay. Like you didn't just go, well, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like there's no barriers mm-hmm. put in place there. And it's just recognizing yeah like when you know better do better and yeah. you know put it out there and like you could have turned around and went well no actually you know we'll just keep it as it is and stuff and that would have been problematic but it's yeah just that space at the table and and not not being a dick when you're called mm-hmm. out on, mm-hmm. on your privilege and, and your maybe deliberate or indeliberate actions and stuff as mm-hmm. well just recognizing like we're not all perfect but just recognizing that privilege and just doing better it's kind of asking the questions isn't it as well because there's always like everyone has their different area of expertise Mm -hmm. that they might know about and then their area of ignorance that they might not have because we can't all be experts in all the things so it's kind of just going okay well what are the questions Mm -hmm. that need to be asked and then who can we ask those questions of and and that thirst for knowledge isn't Mm -hmm. it and that thirst for openness if we can bring that into uh, for me it's about early education Uh, that's where I see this going you know I see 
how can we get those complaint classes coming into primary schools? You know, how can we get Taoist principles coming into primary schools? How can we get people talking about diverse experiences coming into primary schools? And then how can we as parents learn from those people and that it's not just teaching their children, it's teaching us as parents so that we can then bring that into our home because when you become a parent it's very much like suddenly you have to be the expert of everything <laughs> and you're really not you know you're just fumbling your way through and hopefully you're reading stuff and hopefully you're talking to people like Sarah Sproul or whoever luckily in my job that I get to ask these people questions and then try and bring it back into my home but when you try to do it there's always pitfalls I'm sure you find they ask you a question and you're like yeah okay got that one and then they ask you the follow-up, and you're like, oh, no, no, <laughs> I haven't got that one yet, just wait, wait a week. But it's about also being able to say at that moment, that's a really good question, I don't have an answer for that, let's see if we can find that out together. Mm -hmm. And I think that's for all of us to ask the that, way, isn't it? The way, you're, okay, the way you're describing parenting now is almost like, that's almost like how we were talking about like the way men interact with sex earlier. It's like, being sort of like obviously like okay with parents there is an actual child at stake which I believe is something you actually have to have responsibility for. <laughs> like, you all, heard. All, all crying and screaming and vomiting parts of it until they're eighteen or so. And I, I believe after that the vomiting gets right as bad like with the alcohol again. Um, but yeah, it's obviously with parents is a lot more at stake. But it almost sounds like the sort of dynamic we were discussing earlier about like how men almost feel like they. Like for women, so like, you know, coming in to perform for men, whereas mm -hmm. men have like come in to perform for the sake of their own like credit and masculinity almost. Yeah. It's like what we can like, kind of like maybe it's useful to see actually maybe it's more honest to see learning and teaching as like this energy giving and energy taking process, mm -hmm. because like learning is like filling your heart, filling your mind with good things, and like no matter what opinion you take after you've had experiences that's something that you have synthesized from building your knowledge that is still better than you not having built that knowledge in the first place but equally I think like it's like obviously this is a space where you know I can have this conversation and kind of acknowledge that I had this conversation and it kind of stays here then I go on to the next thing constant education the way that minorities have to do them like very willing to do them because the only platforms we really have are social media and you know we can't really be called crazy because we quote tweet and do everything reliably but it's like it is an energy giving process and like it's it's very it is fulfilling to teach people like i love teaching i love doing science communication i love teaching in like whatever aspects and letting people like my whole life is about letting other people have the opportunities to do things they'd never thought of doing that's why i'm setting up the website but it gets to a point where it goes from being an energy giving thing to an energy draining thing and that kind of happens when you realize the what you're saying isn't falling on deaf ears so much as like what you're saying will just become this epiphany that people somehow came to themselves and that becomes draining because it's like what is the value of me like what is the value to me of me what is the value to me of the fact that these are things that i spent you know years and an intensive psychiatrist's worth of time learning it's like spaces like this it's like okay i just speak to my own experience but i think this is really wholesome and lovely and it's a privilege to be it really is a privilege to be able to sit here and talk about a variety of experiences in a way that people like me don't get to they take whatever part of my various intersections that you like but like people like me don't do things like this 
And I think my parents will be very like, you should have done this. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were going to say they'll be very proud. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, let's yeah. reframe that. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, typically like, we don't get to be stuff like this, but mm-hmm. we don't. And I think like this is very much an oddity for my life. And I hope, only hope that the stuff that I do going forwards will allow more conversations like this to be had in the future. And that when people do learn from that, like, yes, ideally, you know, ideally the way that value is attributed in our society is capitalist. Like, so if I can make my platform, like, paying for my contributors and stuff, that would be great. But the reason for having these conversations in this kind of context is so that, you know, if people, if, like, journalists want quotes and stuff, they can turn around and be like, yes, this person said this, and these are the conversations that have happened since. It isn't too much to ask to be credited for the things you say or the perspectives you have because there sure as hell isn't someone else who has the exact same experience and a lot about whether it's something as intimate as sex or if it's just consent in like work if it's consent in medicine if it's just like having a yes or no conversation about you know if you want to go get coffee or not a lot of that has to do with how two people are feeling in the moment how they're interacting and like everyone's different. Everyone will want mm. a different kind of coffee or a different kind of time or whatever. You will want your tepid water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and that's, that's one from if we went no, live and we were like, oh yes, this generic love of tepid water, I'm credited. It's it's because being honest about the experience that they've had. I'm sure. Yeah. learning yeah like learning is very it's very soul fulfilling when you feel like it's done right in teaching like when you feel like you've helped someone else like form an opinion or take a skill that they can use and just being kinder mm-hmm. but it can be exhausting mm-hmm. if it's either falling on deaf ears or clearly falling on deaf ears and then being exploited but yeah I mean, things need to get better. We should just make all kids be like cute and useful. And, like, <laughs> cute, cute and useful. Cute and useful. Well, that's just yeah. my aesthetic, I guess. Cute and useful, and just be like, do better. Or maybe don't even don't even tell them that the world is bad. Like, don't even be like, you know, like gender is a thing or whatever. Just be like, just 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 go socialize yourself. And, like it's, it's actually gonna, it's a it's a good point because even <clears throat> I often think about belief system. Yeah. You know. And, um, uh, you know, Nelson Mandela, mm. when, when, what he said about his time in, in jail was he said, I went, he went on a, I went on a really long holiday for 27 years. And then as he came out, as he walked through the gates, he said that he knew at that point he had to let go of resentment and hatred or he would still be in prison. So I th- just think in the context, mm. the most oppressed people are the people who believe they're oppressed as mm. well. So like our belief system can also... It can also sometimes play play a role and like to me he's such an inspiration um and he like he would have learned the afrikaans language so that he could understand the mindset when mm. he was in prison they used to refer to robin island as the university behind bars mm. and people w- did a lot mm. of study there but um he's such an inspiration to me i just really inspired by that you know how he just could change his his viewpoint on 
Yeah, it's the same Brian Keenan, you know, an evil Craven. Yes. Yeah, that was, we were yeah. talking about this yesterday. Um, yeah. And how he was he was in, 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 like, held in captivity in Beirut for something like 14 years. Something, something astounding. Mm. And I remember reading an evil Craven when I was, to be honest, probably far too young for it. But I was just absolutely, I, I still remember, like, the overwhelming feeling of, like, he could find a tiny bit of joy in every day. No yeah. matter if he was being beaten for, like, 18 out of 24 hours. If he was, like, it was, it was somebody where he'd, he'd see the one of the the guards who kind of bullied another one and he'd sort of like take sides and kind of have a joke about the bullying guard with the non-bullying guard in between beatings in the three-day gap of having no food not even that slight Mm. bit of bread it's just amazing isn't it what the human Mm. spirit is kind of the the, we all have that ability to do it but finding your route to that like that's why Nasmada is so inspiring he's like he's just a human He's mm. not a different, like actual species. Yeah. So we all have that, like that, that, yeah. that ability to see the other side of the fence and to mm. and to find the kind of the joy in in those tiny, tiny yeah. windows, no matter how tiny they are. And I think yeah. it, co- yeah, and it just comes down to compassion as well. Isn't yeah. it? Even in this conversation, that what was so interesting for us was that seeing that the men and women's roles in the media were getting kind of polarized, and there were these experiences that, from talking to the men, we found that, you know there's patriarchy and its effects on women but there's all these effects on men as well and there's this mental health crisis and mm. there's all this stuff that this socialization that's very very narrow you know definitely you know we have these ideas of men and women and these stereotypes and they've affected all of us mm. um and it's not okay for us just to point fingers and go like men are the problem here yeah. it's like where can we find a compassion for their experience and our experience mm-hmm. and then how can we now turn that compassion into that thing of going okay well we've all made mistakes mm-hmm. and maybe some people have made more mistakes and some people have made less but how can we move on and have this conversation in a way that's productive for the next generations rather than harking back to the stuff that's happened we need to learn from that stuff that's happened that's absolutely valid and it's great to talk about it but now mm-hmm. like what are the conversations going forward that need to be had mm-hmm. and that's what that's what interests me really is it quite like the idea of compassion is like something that we talk about about mental health in the medical profession it's like when you translate it's like do we value resilience or not i remember mm-hmm. a couple of years after i left like came out of school and moved here and, you know, there's a huge article that wrote, you know, yeah, you know, this is like the best state school in the country for however many years in a row. And every quote from like the headmaster or headmistress or whatever was like, yes, we love inculcating resilience in our pupils. And it's like, yeah, well, we have the highest rates of self-harm in any school in the country. Three, two of my friends who are trans died in and around school. I think at least three more people I know from my school have killed themselves since. Maybe more that I don't know about. It's just like, I really like the idea of compassion as a result. Mm. Like, I do take the points about, like, you know, people who are inspirations who can sort of leave their shit behind them and go and, while admirable, I don't think, like, that they are most certainly exceptions to prove any rule unless you're, the rule you're going by is incarceration as an analogy for the general state of human suffering. I think a lot of us, like, and I say a lot because people who are minorities in Western countries are by and large the majority of the world's population. A lot of us, like, we don't, you know, get beaten all the time and imagine some of us enjoy it. (laughs) But a lot of us do every day get ground down. A lot of us do, like, just go to a shop to buy something and then, like, get grabbed by our name tags and be like, you have a funny fucking name. Mm -hmm. A lot of us do experience those small things and 
I really like the idea that maybe we can move forward in a world where there's more compassion mm. and maybe less of a focus on resilience, like less of a focus on like folks like Carrie Kelly going like, you know, oh, like, you know, I doubt I'd be too happy if I was in that position, but sure, you know, ethnic minorities are just used to the oppression. People who are underrepresented are just used to it. Mm. We could move beyond that and like learn from the sake of fundamental human compassion. Kind of letting, I suppose, kind of letting our resentment go when we're like, okay, well, there is someone reaching out some kind of hand. They might not be a perfect alternative, but you won't know till you try and engage with that. And equally, like, certainly for some of the people who I had conversations with, like, with the toddler stuff and the TED stuff, it's like, you know, kind of letting go of this idea that you might not even have noticed that you've internalized that, you know, I, a white person, won't now be made to feel less for the color of my skin because someone else would also like to join and inform your views rather than being, you know, like holding actually learning over being, you know, able to say, well, I say I'm not a racist or I say I'm not. I say I'm, my information is the be all and end all and therefore it is. It's like, yeah, just, just want people to be. Yeah. <laughs> like, so I true. just need some head pats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Kindness. Mm. And you know, we all mm. like kinda wanna be like at the end of the day we kinda wanna be able to wake up not on the wrong side of the bed, go to bed and just for a couple of hours leave all of the world behind us and if we're lucky like be around some of the people we like or talk to them when we can. Fundamental needs aren't really that different, just recognize that mm. sometimes when like your conversation just gets that little bit too heated mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah great great point to end on compassion yeah. love and yes. compassion i was kind of hoping for that <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no more frugality here it's all yeah. good vibes people Do you guys thank yeah. you so much for coming thank you for having um if people want to find you caroline hmm. Um, I'm on Twitter at Caroline West underscore IE um, or email caroline.west number two at mail.dcu.ie and hopefully in the next few weeks I shall have a website or two of sorts. Will you send it to us when you do and then we'll post it in the notes. Perfect. Yeah, you can find me on my website uh, universaltau.ie. And they, you do workshops. And yes, stuff. I have workshops and cla- regular classes and women's yeah. circles. Yeah, women's circles as well. So the women's circle is called Yin Wei. Cool. Mm-hmm. Nice. And Eva. Um, I'm on Twitter at Eva M R T N because I used up all the vowels in my first name. So and I've written some stuff for Headstuff, so just Google my name, you can find me on Headstuff as well. Headstuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I will hope to be getting some contributions from you, maybe, for the yeah. new website. Absolutely. If you want to talk. So, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Repealist, so R E P E A L I S T, underscore. The underscore is very important because the person I asked for the original one just refused to give it to me. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I. If you want to talk to me about SciComm stuff, I'll be at the SciComm conference in Ballsbridge on Wednesday. I'll also be launching Repulus.ie, which is a platform for just any kind of diverse contributions. And it does mean like diverse from anything, from like the most privileged white able men to like people without. It's just a place for exploring sort of 
multicultural and mm. like different background experiences on both science and society. And yeah, like I'm doing a contributor call, so keep an eye out on my Twitter. And yeah, if you see me around, like I always need a hug. Like, don't <laughs> hug me from behind. <laughs> I will probably hit you. Hashtag <laughs> consent. Yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> don't hug me from behind. But if you see me around town, I always need headshots or a hug. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Thanks a million for taking part. And uh, thank you guys for watching. And please like and subscribe and post your comments. And we'll put all of those details in the show notes so you can get hold of all these lovely people and uh, and yeah, learn more and keep this conversation going, please. If you have any questions questions for anyone also you can put them in the comments and then we'll pass them on so thank Great, you for listening bye, bye. 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 so welcome back Finn and Lydia here Hello. from wandering into wellness um I thought it would be interesting since we were talking about protein powder and how that supports our muscles and helps us in our exercise and that I would challenge Finn to a wall squat okay well, wall squat, squat off. off. So let's hope the wall squat off works because we have we got other new zest today. We have. We have had a new zest. So it's I like have it's like new zest in this morning. modern day ready break. It is fuel for the muscles, and you guys can go to newzest.co.uk and you can use the code wellness15, which is our coupon code, a very special little coupon code. So you get fifteen percent discount of all new zest products, which we are big fans of. We don't really support. Uh, any other kind of companies in this sort of way. We're not supported by any of the companies in this way, but we're really, really keen on Newsus and We're just like nerdy big fans, really, aren't we? We're big nerdy big fans. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. Yeah. We're gonna spread the Newsus word. So we are going to do a wool squat off and see who lasts the longest. I feel like I'm at a disadvantage because I've already took two classes today and just done a big massive exercise cycle this morning at like I know it was did like a workout like seven million hours ago. But and anyway, cycle twice today. It's a today. fair contest. It's <laughs> a fair contest. Let's go. So if I fail, I'm like doubly failing. This hurts. Yeah. Okay. So okay. we're gonna so set the clock backs here. Backs against the wall. Well, I mean, everyone just see who fails. Really oh. then. <laughs> Excuse my language. Oh, backs against the wall. Slide okay. down. So your bum needs to be parallel to your knees. There okay, we go. there nice. we go. So Finn, yeah. whilst we're in this wall squat, oh I God. think I would challenge you to finding some interesting things to say about the letters of Newsest. So uh -huh. tell us some facts about Newsest, beginning with N. N is for? N is for, hmm, N is for not the protein you'd imagined. Whey protein is the obvious one, but uh, this one is a European golden pea. U. U is for ugly, not us. We are all, <laughs> we're based on the beauty of uh, of vegan protein and ugly is is animal uh, agriculture that's intensive and intensive rearing and this is not an ugly product this, this is, is a product really that is like right? clean inside and out. Uh, Z. Z's an evil one, eh? Uh, Z is for mm, all the zeal you can muster out of a day. Newsest has got like a squillion health ambassadors. Top tennis players, top rugby players. Oh, Finn slipping. Um, <laughs> uh, he's got. They've got like all the New Zealand rugby team on it, like Mananu and all these sorts of amazing guys. And that is because it makes you perform. It's not because they're paid by it. They literally don't get paid anything by Newsus. No, that's super cool, isn't it? Mm. E. E is for goddamn ethics. Ethics. Ethics oh, in a company. So um, when Newsus approached Dr. Robert Verkirk of the Alliance for Natural Health. Uh, three years ago to produce a, 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 a multivitamin, he said, no, because you'll make me compromise on my ethics, you'll make me compromise on my standards. Mm -hmm. And so they said, uh, okay, well, what if we don't make you compromise? He said, like, okay, well, give it a shot. And so he gave it one shot, and they have a product called Good Green Stuff, which is what Robert Kirk says is the ultimate in terms of nutritional everyday needs for 99% of, of all the audience. Go on. Is it e S. S. 
As is for sweating, uh, if you're a fan of sweating, then use this helps your muscles recover big time. So you've got leucine, arginine, valine, isoleucine, all the ones that are really key amino acids for growth hormone. T. T is for teetering on the brink of failure. <laughs> But yet, luckily, we took our news lessons and we're just about... We're just going to make it through. Yay! Yay, we Let's see. Oh, we, Like, we haven't, we haven't failed yet. No. How much longer do you reckon you've got? I'm kind of, I'm reaching, we're shaking. I'm reaching, shaking as well. I'm yeah. like, where is it hurting most? Uh, quads. Yeah, but where in the quads? The front of them? Uh, the middle of them? Yeah, did it. Oh, burning more than shaking, though. So bad. <sighs> um, so, we probably finished. Okay. <laughs> One of us so has to fail. Remember our, our code. Holy oh. moly. Remember our code. Wellness15. Wellness15. Use our uk. Go. Best of luck. Ah, <laughs> I win. Yay. <laughs>